A stark warning that artificial intelligence could lead to the extinction of humanity. It comes from dozens of industry leaders, including the CEO of ChatGPT creator OpenAI. The experts signed the statement, which says mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. According to a new study, Earth is in the danger zone when it comes to seven out of eight specific ecological metrics, both in terms of overheating and losing its natural areas, and as well as the well-being of people living on the planet. The study looked at not just specific guardrails in terms of the planetary ecosystem, but also measures of justice in terms of preventing harm for groups of people. The study looked at climate, air pollution, phosphorus and nitrogen pollution, groundwater supplies, and a number of other factors. The White House tonight says the president is doing fine, and he certainly appeared that way when we saw him on camera shortly after that fall. This all happened after he delivered that commencement address and then shook hands with graduates for nearly two hours. He then turned to head it back to his seat, and that is when he appeared to trip over that sandbag that was next to him on this stage. He was able to get back up and was seen interacting with the crowd shortly after that fall. But given voters' concerns about the president's age, this is an image that his critics are already capitalizing on and pouncing on. Donald Trump was quick to weigh in on this. But David, the bottom line tonight, the White House says the president simply tripped and he is doing well. The food insecurity, the natural disasters, all of which are being made worse by the existential threat of climate change. I don't hear many of my friends anymore saying there's no climate change. We're finally figured it out trying to push that since 1981. Another major problem is the Joe Manchin pipeline that we fought so hard to stop from being built. That is still a part of this bill. And what's problematic about that is, number one, we need to stop drilling for fossil fuels completely. But number two, we need an expedited way to get us to clean renewable energy, or we will continue to have these severe weather events that we have been having for quite some time and because of the warming of the planet. Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 134 here on Friday, June 2nd, and I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm your co-pilot, Mike McKenna. Michael McKenna, how are you? Before we get into the clips, how how, how was your week it, this week? It's been, it's been a long week. Good week. I feel like I'm starting to actually work for a living again. And that's oh, that's great. It's always good. It's always good. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. On the other hand, people are mostly idiots and they constantly annoy me. So that's not good. I had a very good week. I was gonna say uh, I will get into that in, in the announcements though, because I have some thank yous for that. Okay. Um, okay, look, I I don't know why we bother. <laughs> we might as well just wrap up this episode this podcast because between AI and climate change, we are all going to be dead anyway. 
Yeah. That was my takeaway. Nor, uh, Nor O'Donnell on CBS read the manifesto from big tech, uh, that we, we should prepare for AI to, to destroy. I mean, this is Terminator. Yeah. This is matrix baby. We're done. Yeah. I Game over. I, you know, <laughs> I, Whatever. I've been watching this with some, with some amusement. I'm like, dude, you can't even get it to get its dates right half the time. How's it going to destroy anybody? Hey, I, I mean, was playing around with uh, Chat GPT the other day for the first time. Yeah, how was and, it? Uh, it's um, it's weird. It's it's different. It's weird, and I can see how um, I can see how it's going to put some people out of work. Yeah, probably me. Probably me. I assume. I assume everyone's just going to start writing my columns like using Chat Chat GPT and say, "Hey, write a write a column like Mike McKenna." Right? Boom, and we're done. I heard a rumor though that Chat GPT remembers everything Chat GPT GPT wrote. I'm sure. And if a teacher pl plugs it in, they can confirm or deny whether or not they wrote it. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in in the infancy here on this whole thing. Look, Tom. Some people some people say that's some people say that's the way it is. Other people say that's not the way it is. I don't know, but you know, some people say. All right. All right. That so, uh, Biden bounces and Republicans pounce. Golly, you know the. I mean, you know, first of all, they had to cover it because it was so. It was shocking, and you know what? She, it, it was so dramatic, right? And so, like, you know, front, front and center. No, no one's really talked about the most dramatic thing about it. So, your dad is of age, right? And my dad was of age before he died, and old guys fall, right? And they yep. they learn how to fall, and they learn how to get up, right? Um. What struck me about this and what struck me about the other falls is he hasn't learned how to fall. I mean, this thing was a bad fall. And then getting up was a real labor. And I was especially – especially would note that the the reporting there was like, hey, he stood in line. You shook hands for two hours. I'm like, dude, he's a politician. He should be able to stand in line and shake hands for seven or eight hours. I mean, this is like two hours, like big deal. Well, it's it's all like, you know, every he's, he's fine. It was just a – a little little fall, but the Republicans are no doubt gonna, you know, point to this as as an an, an issue. Yeah, well, so this has been going on from the beginning. So are the so, all, the, so second, are the so are the Chinese and the Iranians. Just so you know, well, that's what I was gonna say. The media doesn't cover any of it, but it's not like our enemies sit around on Twitter all day or, or sit around on, and watch the CNN and Fox all day to get their clips. <laughs> they know all of this is going on. <laughs> so anyhow, set that aside. Yeah. Uh, I called the that clip the pusher. I've been pushing, climbing, pushing this stuff since 1981. <laughs> First of all, he hasn't. 1988, right? He hasn't. Uh, but in addition to the fact that he hasn't, um, it's pretty clear and pretty obvious uh, that that's how they view this issue. But of course. Uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman, who is working every day to outflank AOC in, in crazy town, um, you know, said the quiet part out loud about the uh, MVP approval in the debt ceiling bill. So, yeah, well, you know, we'll, we should probably talk about that some more, even though it kind of makes me a little, we, a little sick to my stomach. Although you're, you know, your very, very good friend, Garrett Graves, you know, is working hard for Joe's. Joe's re-election, so I'm glad about that. We'll get into the debt ceiling stuff. It's obviously something we need to talk about. 
Uh, and then Marilyn Monroe uh, wishing JFK a happy birthday. Now, the, the, the part that will not be played in the clip was she was introduced as the late Marilyn Monroe because of her tendency to be late. But she literally died less than three months later. So that, you know, that was a little bit eerie. I have to be honest with you. I, I've watched that like everybody else in America. I've watched that clip for years. She's a very attract was a very attractive woman, right? Same age as my dad, right? Born in nineteen twenty six, I think a month before my dad. Um it, it just doesn't seem I, I'm gonna sound like an old guy here, but it just doesn't seem very gentlemanly of of the president that he would allow that to happen. Yeah, she was clearly in massive decline. But I brought it up because it'll it'll uh, it'll be a full circle here. Um, <laughs> you're not going to tell me. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to expose my ignorance. Guess. Good for guess. me. Good for me. <laughs> All right. Um, announcements. Announcements. I have uh, three. First off, Tom is doing this um, podcast with a great big giant Johnny Depp style glass of wine. I am doing a mega pint, perhaps. A mega pint. I am doing it with. 100 proof McKenna um, bourbon because it's Friday at 4.30 and we've just given up caring. That's a that's announcement number one. Announcement number two bottled is- Bottled in bond, bottled in bond, and cheers to you, sir. Yeah, salute. Huh? So, um, it, so that's one. Two is I want to thank Frank Cadillac for explaining a fairly complicated thing with respect to the Everett LNG plant. I appreciate it very much, Frank, as I always do every time you share knowledge with me. Um, I also want to welcome a new listener, Richard. I'm not going to give his last name because where he works, he'd get in trouble. But um, welcome, Richard. That seems to be a common theme. Yeah, it happens a lot. <laughs> it happens a lot. Um, I love your show, but I will never admit it to anybody. Exactly. I love your show, but don't tell anybody I listen don't to Don't tell it. anyone I listen to And then I want to send a special thank you out to Garrett, and Alex, uh, the staff here at the American Energy Alliance, um, they had to deal with a very difficult prima donna um, trying to get um, survey results out onto the street this week. And I know I'm difficult, and I appreciate both of you boys um, doing your thing. So that's my announcements. Great. I've got uh, some thank yous also uh, to Chris Wright and Ben Popple at the uh, Liberty Energy Company headquartered in Denver. Um, they were kind enough to both host a happy hour for the IR squad and also take us on a frack site tour way out in Greeley, Colorado, uh, in God's country out in Greeley. This past Wednesday, um, there were gracious hosts, and I'm so certainly glad that the youngers on the squad got a chance to get a little dirt on their shoes, and I hope that it was worth their while, or at least I hope they appreciated it. And then also my sister and my daughter are traversing the mother country this week. They're in the uh, Rome, Florence, Venice circuit, and I wish them safe travels. Um, and uh, they're, they're, uh, they're sending me mostly pictures of food. That's, so. that's, what, I was, that's what I was laughing about. <laughs> I, I saw the Facebook post today, and, and, and it was um, – it was your daughter sitting there looking completely disinterested, eating food somewhere, I think, in Florence. And I just – I was like, oh, only a child could be in Florence and be completely disinterested, right? She's just like, yeah, hey, I'm just having a burger at McDonald's, right? I mean, she's just like, the hell with you people. No, but she's been – actually, she got her first um, phone. I gave her a phone so she could take pictures, and there's a WhatsApp family group. Yeah. 
So she's been doing the picture thing and sending it to everyone and giving it. She's doing a lot of play-by-play, but I told her, don't be consumed by that experience. Yeah, man. This country, uh, this great, beautiful country of Italy. So anyways, she's excited. Uh, She's back next week. I'll be gone uh, when she gets back, but I'll see her in about let's say a week and a day she's so. a grown person now tom you gotta get used to the idea because you're, you're, you're hey. i know you don't want to hear this right. yeah I'm, but i'm going to tell you to you anyway because i love you kids become more more absent the older they get that's just the way the world yes. is and that's I'm the way it's supposed you... to be and also that leads to another announcement which is i took atia on her first driving lesson Oh, good God. This week as well. So you gotta be kidding me. Nope. Uh she got her permit and now we're we're doing the thing while we're in the parking lot making all the turns and everything. Ladies and gentlemen, so, if you live along the eastern seaboard of the United States, I'm just gonna give you some safety advice right now. Don't <laughs> don't get on the road. Just don't get I on the road. I promise I won't be taking her out tonight after my mega pint of <laughs> Pinot Noir. Yeah. All right, this day in history. Um, so I was going through the research and I I think we recorded June on, on another June 2nd. It might have been a year ago because uh, some of it looked pretty familiar. But on this day in 1926, happy birthday to you. Grover Alexander pitched a no-hitter on, against the Yankees. You know exactly what happened on this day in 1926. <laughs> the... Late Norma Jean, Norma birth Jean. name Norma Jean Mortensen. I never have been clear about her last name. Never then know. changed to Norma Jean Baker after her mother's name. Then changed to Marilyn Monroe, Monroe being her um, grandmother's name, Monroe. Uh, she was born on this day in 1926. So There we go. And let's see, and this is this is actually going to be fun because it's going to go full circle here. In 1935, on this day, 1935. Yep. Uh, Baber's last day, that last game. Yeah. Yes. Remember we talked. So the last day we had his his home run, and he did in fact retire during the season on this day in 1935. It's unfortunate. George Herman, Babe Ruth, of course, uh, shattered many, many records. Uh, Shohei Otani, Babe Ruth. Don't, don't, (laughs) don't even commit that sacrilege. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just it's kidding. Same, but he was a hell of a pitcher before he was a. It's the same kind of morons. Bronx it's a, bomber. It's the same kind so. of morons running around telling you Ted Williams was the greatest baseball player of all times. I'm like, why don't you call me up when he owns some World Series pitching records and not ten seconds before? You know uh, the reason he's such a good ball player, right? Babe Ruth. Yeah, because he was an orphan. Because he went to the St. Mary's Industrial School for boys. You know the story there. I mean, his dad basically run just, by Roman Catholic brothers. Yeah, his, his, where he learned to play the game. Yeah, his his dad basically just dropped him off one day and said drove yep. and drove away. Said I can't deal with the kid anymore. Yep, take him away. Yeah, you're. So. By the way, for all you for all you non Catholics out there, yet again, you're welcome. <laughs> we all are, right, I got we, another one. We are loopy on Fridays, man. Oh, by the way. Uh, uh, just because uh, Aaron Judge, because of Aaron Judge's record last year, he's on pace right now for 51. 
Yeah, but he's first off, he's already been hurt this season. He's already done a stint on the DL. That's right. And he's going to do another stint on the DL before it's all over. And his his um, his porcelain running buddy there, uh, uh, Mike Stanton, right? He's been on the DL since April 5th. So oh, but he should be coming back any time now. If he came back tomorrow morning, he'd still miss – he'd still have, would have missed a third of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, anyways, I, I, uh, I, I, but that just gives you an idea of, A, how hard it is to hit 60 – two home runs and also how we don't even think about Barry Bonds and when we have this conversation, right? why would you Or Sosha or come on, or not Sosha Sosa or Sosa uh, Mark, McGuire. Mark McGuire. Yeah. Those guys, the, the, you know, the real home run hitters in our lives, Babe Ruth, Maris judge. Now Dave Kingman is a guy nobody ever thinks about, but Dave Kingman popped 50 a couple of times. George Foster popped 50 a couple of times. Sorry. Good. 1953. Jimmy Fox. Uh, 1953. June 1953, uh, the Korean armistice and the Korean War was signed. Mm-mm. The, the... Cute. God no save the Queen. Queen Elizabeth Queen was Elizabeth crowned. was born, was crowned queen of all... Which the... is why I know we had another episode on June 2nd, because uh, I've run this day, this one. You? I, I uh, ran this this I, day. I know this year. is going to come as a shock to you, but guys named McKenna don't routinely keep track of queens and their <laughs> goings and comings. Uh, one last one. Yo. Uh, 1941. I went a little out of order. 1941. 1941. June 2nd, 1941. I have no idea. American professional baseball player Lou Gehrig. Oh, dies. Died at the young age of 37 yeah. on this day. Yeah, after a couple of years with, uh, yeah, with Lou Gehrig's disease. Which, so he ended his streak at 2,130 2, consecutive games. Of course, Cal Ripken went on to do 2,630. 2, All right, that's it for this day in yeah, history. I want to We're, apologize. He wasn't a mediocre player. He was actually a pretty good player. But compared to Lou Gehrig, yeah. he was just okay. That's just the that's the Henry McKenna talking. You know what? Tell your Orioles fans <laughs> out take there. It back now. <laughs> tell your Orioles fans out there. If you don't like it, call me up. You got my number. We can just yeah, ha- Chris we, Tucker. We Chris can, Tucker will call you. We can we can have at it. We can have at it, and it'll be fun. And I'll make you look bad, and I'll enjoy that. So, all right, let's talk debt ceiling. Uh, yes. The uh, Senate passed the bill. What is it? Last night. Last night, yes, sir. Late last night, sixty-three thirty-six. Uh, the the country is safe for now until AE till AI wipes out humanity. Um, do you want to get into this a little bit? Where Where do you want to start with this? I've got some numbers sc- I'd like to share, but um, I'll start with the numbers. Know. Start with the. Numbers. Why don't you start with what's in it? What they ended up getting? Okay. For, what, more importantly, what didn't happen? Well, I was going to say, I, so I wrote my column on this today, so it'll show up in. T- Monday's paper, um, posted up on Sunday, Saturday night, I guess. And uh, you know what they got was spending targets in the out years, right? They essentially had no change in 24. They didn't rebaseline it. They got spending um, targets in the out years, very modest increases, like $50 billion a year, right? So 1%, something like that, um, in 26, 27, 28, 29. But it's important to know that that's all they are. They're spending targets. There's no actual enforcement mechanisms, it's more or less a gentleman's agreement. They didn't claw back hardly any of the COVID money, $28 billion out of like more than $5 trillion that was appropriated and obligated. Um, it, it 
they got nothing out of the IRS, right? That eighty-seven billion that they all campaigned on over the year, over the over the campaign season last year. Um, they got the cosmetic part of permitting reform, all the stuff that all the stuff CEQ and the agencies are already doing. They got all it was was you know making it setting it in statute instead of practice, like it has been. And the good news, the best news is, is that Congressman Garrett Graves, Republican of Louisiana, managed to arrange a deal where the Mountain Valley Pipeline got its permits embedded in statute. So Senator Joe Manchin can take that victory lap during the campaign. Um, why he didn't do the same thing for Keystone or the Resolution Copper Mine or Twin Metals up in Minnesota, I'm sure I have no idea. But I encourage everybody to call Congressman Graves' office and ask him that question. Just hey, while you're fixing while you're fixing permitting problems, why didn't you fix any others? Why'd you just pick the guy from West Virginia? Yeah, okay. So I'm sorry I'm back and forth on this. No, it's fine. I I'm pleased that um Joe Manchin got his pipeline, but I don't like the precedent. But then it was pointed to me, uh someone pointed out to me that the uh Trans Alaska pipeline was uh, you know, done similarly uh way back in the day. But I think it was a little bit different. Uh, a, it was in response to the Arab oil crisis. But um, this is in response to having a huge problem getting pipelines permitted in this country, period. Any pipeline was a much different situation. So I don't necessarily, uh, I wouldn't dismiss the fact that this is a bad precedent. So anyway, um, good Good, good. Glad there's a pipeline now, but don't like the precedent. If it's going to take a congressional um, statute to approve a pipeline in this country, then we're we're not going to get many of them approved, especially if we take something like this. To well, get it in there. but you know, Congress has changed. Republicans, change, you know, we might have a all Republican House, Senate, White House, and boy, everything usually goes so well when that happens. Right? Yeah, now. I was going to say. Let me just say two other quick things about this this MVP. Mountain Valley Pipeline deal. First off, I'm starting to wonder about Ledge Council in the House. I really am because the drafting quality is starting to deteriorate. They need to hire Margaret Caravelli to like write that ship because right in there in the statute, right in there in the statute, they're like, hey, these provisions are not subject to judicial review. I'm like, why don't you just put a big red flag in the middle of that section and dare a court to pick you off? Because, you know, <laughs> if, if a court a court's going to read that, you can't wall something off from judicial review. Courts are going to go after it because they're going to have to. Because if they don't, after this, every legislation will just say, hey, these provisions are not subject to judicial review. So I'm not sure yeah. what these guys are thinking. That's that's thing one. Um you know, thing thing two is um, thing two is this had to have been an attempt by the Biden by Team Biden to get Mansion away from their nominees. Right? He's made it. He's, he said, "I'm not confirming anybody out of EPA anymore." Right? And he's de facto said the same thing about FERC. Right? Um, we're going to find out, right? If he votes for Julie Sue over at Labor, we're going to know that that, that was yeah. the price, right? And 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 whatever else you think about the world, that's just lousy. That's lousy. It's lousy. It's 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 not corrupt, but it's just lousy. 
Well, there's a couple other uh, things going on as well, or other some some may say that. Um, <laughs> did you really just did you really just give me the Donald Trump? Some may say. Well, okay, so according to David Winston, Dave hot Win- off the presses, Dave Winston, America's favorite pollster, the the debt limit agreement negotiated by congressional Republicans that will be signed into law is an inf- important first step in putting Washington on a trajectory towards fiscal responsibility. Being a bipartisan agreement, it's no surprise the bill doesn't mirror every provision in the original House bill. I'm sorry, is this Dave writing for The Hill? No, no, this is his memo. Really? Does he have uh, any yeah. Does he have any polling research or is he just talking? Yeah, yeah, well, voters were concerned that not raising the debt limit could lead to catastrophic consequences for the country. 57-23, believe, do not believe. A key element of this debate was the tide of public opinion against the White House on its refusal to negotiate. So according to Dave Winston, the voters... Um, the voters were not buying to... the whole refuse to negotiate thing, and that kind of like forced yeah. uh, Jeff, Joe see. Biden to the table. Yeah. Well, I'm not finished because I want to. Uh, there's I more. Get it all out there. Right, yeah. Voters have here. Voters have made the connection between inflation and the national debt. <laughs> From the April survey for winning the issues, voters tend to believe increasing federal spending contributes to inflation. Sixty four twenty one. And increasing the national debt contributes to inflation, 5526. As a result, the national debt is less of of an abstraction as the electorate has to deal with the immediate impact of inflation on their personal lives. Yeah. Two things. First off, um, it's important to know, and I say this without rancor, I just say it because of what it is, right? Dave's the in-house pollster for the Republican Party. Um, so, you know, know that he's talking his book and he's talking their book. That's thing one. Thing two, and this is the final this is the final point I'll make on all of this, this whole debt ceiling thing. We don't really know, and we're not gonna know until we see what the FY twenty six numbers look like, till we see if those spending targets hold. That said, and I don't wanna be that guy, but I can't think of a time when Congress has managed to restrain itself without enforceable targets, without enforceable restraints. In in since 1965, since 1965, total federal outlays have been reduced in three years: 2012, 2013, and 2023. 23, we're coming off the COVID sugar high. 2012 and 2013. As a direct result of the 2011 Budget Sequestration Act, which had enforceable targets, these this does not have an enforceable target, and that's that. I mean, you can fidget around all you want about it, but uh, you know we're not going to know until people start figuring out a way to evade it. I will say one other thing: the day of the House vote, just for those of you who are cynical, Jack Reed, who's the Senate Armed Services Chairman literally had a long conversation with the media about how to avo- avoid and evade the 26 and 25 26 27 yeah. um, targets. So yeah. so you know just in case you think that the termites no, are and and then there were democrats who don't say the word termites. The termites are just eating away. Just in case away the Dem- the away. democrats uh also said, "Hey, now that the bill is passed, we can all um we can all like you know stop we can. We are now free to say we roll the Republicans on this thing. Well, more Democrats. Right? Well, more Democrats than Republicans. Well, that's what we're going to get into the numbers. Okay, ready? go ahead. 
So, uh, and, and I want to talk about what this means, really, honestly. Um, the, the, first of all, the, the Rules Committee, which, as you know, has nine Republicans and four, four Democrats. Democrats. Yeah, two, 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 two X plus one. Seven yays, six nays. So Norman and Roy, who were, ha- were, were, were put on the, the Rules Committee um, as part of this uh, McCarthy deal, voted no. Tom Massey voted yes. Yeah. And that was, um, that would have split the, that would have, it would have been a, would have killed. Have not gotten out of rules. Now Massey, for whatever reason, you know, he didn't, maybe he didn't want to hand McCarthy, you know, a, a stinging defeat in the rules. Stinging committee. defeat. Look, Tom Massey, Tom Massey talks a great game, but he's a leadership stooge. He is. And I'm fine so with that. Right? that. Just, 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 you got to know that's what it is. So, but, but, but first time in a long time that Republicans or majority on the rules committee voted against a rule. Yeah. Okay. Now on the floor, on the rule, there were 52 Democrats who voted yes. Yeah. 29 Republicans voted no. Yeah. Okay. And then finally for the bill itself, we, everyone, this is what everyone's talking about. Um, a majority of Democrats 100, voted. 165, 167, 169. There were a hundred. There were um 165, I think. Uh yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and there's 149 Republicans. 165 D's yeah. who voted for the for the rule for the for the bill and 149 Republicans. We had the same so, number. We had, we had worse numbers in the Senate, right? There were 31 Republican senators voted against this thing. So, so, but the point is, is that so? Does this democracy working? Are we are we for this? Is this a good thing? The deal you mean? The, the fact that you had you know bipartisan yays and nays in all three on the rules committee, on the rule, and on the floor. Yeah. Can I can I can I say just take a quick take a take a short but important detour? Yeah. In many the cases, adage in, the adage in Washington is that in many cases when something is bipartisan. What it what it really means is is that the guys in Congress have decided to hose their constituents, that the that the organization, the institution becomes more important than who they are representing, and this is a pretty good example of this. Everybody knows that this spending is um, unsustainable, um, as the young people like to pay, like to say, but only a few people want to do anything about it. The those those three hundred fourteen guys who voted for this thing. They're not among the people who want to do anything for it. Yeah, that's so. That's that's my that's my big divergence. You know, bipartisan does not mean good. It does not mean responsive to the wishes of the voters. All it means is we got a bunch of chuckleheads who cared about the institution more than anything else. And you know what? The funny thing is, they talk about it that way. It's for the good of the institution. It's the institution. It's institutionally good. Blah blah blah. They're the first ones to say that. It, 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 any organization theory professor would would sit there and go. Okay, let me tell you what's going on. These guys value the institution more than they value their voters back home. Or, as Jack Kemp once said, somewhere around your second term, the word us stops meaning me and the voters I represent and starts meaning me and my friends here in Washington. Yeah. So on the D side, the no's in the Senate were your buddy Bernie. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not a Democrat. but He's a know. socialist. Let's just keep it straight. Merkley, Markey. Yep. There were and f- there good were f- old John Fetterman. There were five, right? Yep. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, the Democrats know they they all voted for this thing. They understand completely. They yeah. they rolled everybody. They get it. These which is I'm willing to bet any amount of money that anybody wants to lay down on these spending targets. There's no way you're going to lose money on it, right? So I guess uh, uh, McCarthy's coming out okay on this because in the Washington Times, according to I was embarrassed uh, by this story. Let me just say Rasmussen that. reports McCarthy nears best speaker territory, fifty percent approve. With his latest big win secured, McCarthy is moving into rare space. Former House Newt Gingrich declared Speaker McCarthy has already begun a historic speakership. Rasmussen put him at the throne of public on the throne of public approval, fifty percent favorable, higher than former Speaker Pelosi reaching her second stint at the top job, according to a YouGov polling timeline for her. And many have to. Uh, so anyhow, so it's an interesting. The whole thing is interesting to me because there's a legitimate divide in the Republican party on, on whether or not this was a good deal or a bad deal. Yep. And by the way, either, either side is defensible. I, I don't mean to say that either side is defensible. I, I was just going to say that uh, I was literally, cause normally I kind of know where to, where to yeah. land on something like yeah. this. And I'm going back and forth because there's no way that there was ever going to be the bill that passed. And there was, but the question is, is what what is the difference between the bill that passed and a clean debt ceiling? Yeah, I, I think this is as bad. It, nothing, nothing is the short answer. That's the. But the optics are are. Yeah, we had you we, know what everyone's talking about. You know, as recently as two days before the deal, we had everybody on the run, and now we did. You know, it reminds me of 2018, right? We had everybody on the run. We gave up the leverage. We lost. Yeah. Same here. Let me say. Let me say two things real quick. I, I I talked to a bunch of guys. Members were in right on Wednesday, but they had nothing to do, so they were talking to chuckleheads like me. You know, I I, I came out of. I had the occasion to talk to to Pete Stauber at some length, right on on uh, Wednesday morning, and he was he was backing and forth and on it. And he says, you know, you know, on balance, I think it's okay. What do you think? Blah blah blah. And he wound up voting for it, I think. Um, and it's fine, right? I, I get it totally. He was he was optimistic. He's like, I'm going to choose to be optimistic. I'm like, good. I also had a I also spent time with the Conservative Opportunity Society. And let me just say, uh, it's the first time I spent more than a couple of minutes with Ralph Norman. He's a very impressive guy. I like him a lot. You know, they they themselves were split, right? But the funny thing was, none of them wanted to talk about it. They're like, can we talk about energy? Because I don't want to talk about this other stuff. <laughs> right. Right. I said, I said, hey, I've come, right, I've come ready to talk about debt and deficit, but really I'm here to talk about energy. And every single one was like, forget the debt and deficit. We're sick of talking about it, which tells me they'd heard enough. And I think that's probably true for everybody. Yeah, well, Stauber did vote for, it, but yeah, what I don't, what I don't, uh, what I don't want to see is the Freedom Caucus and these guys get deflated. Like, I want to see them continue to press. I think they, I think they will. I think they will. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, it sets the stage for a possible good thing, right? That's that's the that's probably the best pitch I can put on it, and I think that's how they think about it too. All right. Um... What's next? What is Congress going to do uh, what is it for the rest of the year? Uh, there's some tax, there's some chatter about uh, a tax reform package. Not going to happen. Um, Ways and means. Uh, Jason Smith. Not going to happen. Working on something. There's, there's a question of. Uh, I think the New Yorkers and the New Jerseyers want to want to. Yeah, I mean, revisit they, this whole. Uh, you yeah, know, the salt, salt cap. Yeah, the. I, I mean, here's. 
Here's what that tax thing's all about, right? I mean, there are expiring tax provisions, so not, something's going to happen. Not yeah, not really this year, right? Anything that expires this year is going to get rolled over. What's going to happen is everybody's going to get spend next year getting their tax perform, tax reform proposals in order because whoever wins the presidency in 2025 is likely to bring Congress with them, and we are going to have a reconciliation in 2025. And we got a bunch of expiring provisions off the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. We got the child tax credit expiring. We got a bunch of expiring provisions off off and a bunch. Please of God, things. we can we can claw back some of this. Um, well, you know, it depends if we got a Republican IRA stuff, right? That's the right. That's right. You know, it, it, it's the IRA stuff's going to be live. Domestic content's going to be live. Everything's going to be live in 2025. It's going to be you know, it's going to be an epic contest. So that's what that's what the tax guys tax guys always spend a year and a half thinking about things before they do it. This year. We get the farm bill and we got NDAA and Ugh. we got a, and we got appropriations. That's what we got. I'm sorry to tell you that. That's just that you know you you, you asked. That's it. So we got an omnibus, basically, was what is what you're saying. I I'm deeply skeptical that we can get a farm bill done at this point. You know, it, although although in all fairness, the farm bill guys, the farm bill is no longer the farm bill. But we our, our listeners need to understand that yes. the farm bill is now the food stamp bill. That's right. That's right. You know the funny and thing and the is, climate bill for the Democrats and the climate bill. The f- so so two things. One is the farm bill guys were all thrilled about getting having the work requirements fight and the debt limit thing. Yeah, so they can they, they bypass have, it. That's right. Now they don't have to have it. That's one. The um. The the the. I forget what the second thing I had in my head. It probably doesn't matter. Um, we're gonna have something on the farm bill. It's going to be inexplicably bad and unalterably detestable, but it's going to happen. And then we're going to have NDAA. And, and you know, um, NDAA is going to be what it always is. You know, we, 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 we need, we need, you know, we're going to spend a trillion dollars figuring out how to lose our next war. So you guys got to give us money. All right. Um, you want to talk about a poll? I heard someone did a survey recently. Who, who would waste their time with such a silly thing? Well, uh, John Kerry, let, let's set this up with a John <laughs> Kerry clip. John Kerry. Special K was interviewed by Jen Saki, who, by the way, I miss Jen. I really do. <laughs> Given, Golly. although she didn't, she didn't give us as, as well. She gave us think about that sentence for a second. About as much material as uh, KJP. Um, but uh, let's play this clip uh, from uh, the the stinging interview between Jen. Saki <laughs> the hard Kerry. hitting, the hard hitting. <laughs> In a recent NBC yeah. poll from August, voters ranked climate change as the fifth most important issue. Right. It was behind democracy, cost of living, jobs in the economy, immigration. I mean, can you make the case for it being number one or how do you see that? It is an existential issue. It is an issue where people today are dying. 15 million a year die because of the lack of air quality. 10 million people are dying every year around the world because of extreme heat. It's getting hotter. There are going to be more intensive weather events, and it will cost us an awful lot more money. So as that happens, as people see their farms, you know, the crops ripped away or their homes destroyed, you watch the pressure grow. And I believe we're in a transformational moment. I think this will be one of, if not the, but it'll be one of the top three issues in the 24 presidential election. No question in my mind. 
So Special K uh, thinks that even though climate change is no, only number five on the list of things that matter to Americans, uh, we're all doomed uh, if we don't do something about it. Yeah. But that's not what our survey said. No. Um, the, no. The American Energy, the American Al Energy Alliance. Go ahead. And the American Energy Alliance and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity uh, sponsored a survey which had – three or four very clear findings and a bunch of other random findings that were also very interesting. The, the, the three or four clear findings is, is that approximately no voter prioritizes climate change. Less than 3% of voters identified it as either the most important or the second most important issue facing the United States. That compares with 55% of voters who identified the economy as the first or second most important um, issue. That's the so one. Can I, can I stop to, Sure. Enlighten our listeners. Sure. Almost invariably, almost all the surveys out there in the world where climate change is some pressing issue comes from a survey that gives you the list of issues to choose from. And usually it's is a that, short list. Is that accurate? And it's not a very long yeah, list. Yeah, usually it's a short list accurate? of usually it's a short list of four or five things. Which of the following is the most important right. issue, right? Now, when we do our survey, we've been doing this together how long now? I don't know, 40 years. <laughs> Not quite 40. <laughs> Let's call it 10. Since we were since we were, we, since we were children. We always start out the question first question is what's bugging you? And then the second question is besides that, what else is bugging you? That's right. Most for and what, it, what's the most and how often does climate change show up on the first tier in the 10 plus years that we've been doing oh, these surveys? Never. Never. It's one, two, three percent, but it's never, it never, it's never, I think one time it was higher. It was like at 4% once. I was like, what the hell? I figured I had a busted sample. Right. But so I just want to make, I just want to kind of clarify that's right. that. That's right. So it, it, it may it, have showed up on Jan Saki's poll as number three or four or whatever it was. Yeah. It's because they're, that's because they, they, they gave him four choices. It showed up as four. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's, so it, I just wanted a table set here on that issue. Yeah, I'll make it simpler for you, Tom. You're being lied to by the legacy media most times. Um, uh, second thing, right, that the survey made it pretty clear is there's no appetite to spend anything on this, right? Voters rejected carbon taxes by like 44%, I think, 44 percentage points, 65-21, which is consistent with, again, 10, 12 years of research. Um, they, uh, when, when asked about willingness to pay, for climate change, the median answer was about twenty bucks. That's the lowest that's been in about ten years. You know, we have been trending steady, steadily, but very slowly upwards. In the last survey, I think it was thirty-five bucks or thirty-seven bucks or something like that. The median is twenty. Was twenty this go around? Um, and um, and we asked, you know, what do you feel about electric vehicle mandates? And that was a that was a hard note too. I think that was about fifty-four points underwater. Um, the final thing that I would note is that um, we asked we asked the question two different ways about uh, banning gasoline powered cars and stuff like that. That was underwater by those were underwater by about seventy and seventy two points uh, respectively. Um, so it 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 you know this survey is in line with all most of our historical work. Um, you know there's 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 a reason why there's a reason why everybody on the administration side except for John Kerry couches this in terms of clean energy and a transition and blah 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 because they know if they talked about 
ban on gas cars and taxes and how much are you willing to spend, they would lose well, they would lose pretty badly. Even even the the climate don in the White House, John Podesta. Yeah. Said we've seen the polling on carbon taxes. It's all crap. But yeah, uh, that is that is one area. And this is one other thing I want to say about our survey because we released the results of the entire survey, and there were some questions that give us a little bit of pause, right? Sure. So we have some work to do, and one of them was what you just described. Which? Which is when we talk, what, the reason that the left has now moved on to vague descriptions of clean energy transitions by 2050 yeah, is that stuff polls well. Yeah. Because it's, it doesn't affect me. I'll probably either be dead or won't care by then because I'll be retired and living on a beach, right? By 2050, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and that showed up in the poll as well as the eliminate fossil fuel stuff by X date, right? Yeah. So as long as you paint this uh, quote as a, you know, not now, but later. Yeah. Some conversation. Long yeah. Some long and it does it does and it does garner voters voter yeah at least at least gives them a fighting chance but when you break it down and you strip it down to what exactly it is that they want to do they get blown out of the water in terms of public that's sentiment. right and and that's what we've been talking to folks that's what we've been talking to folks about that you know this is not an issue you should be terrified of right there there there's survey data you know pretty probative, pretty overwhelming, pretty directional. Um, and it's all, it's all in the favor of folks who, who I don't want to say resist, but who want to resist. Anyway, it, 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 the good survey, is it going to go up on the, is it going to go up on the thinger? Everything's up on the fingers and, uh, we'll put everything in the show notes. <laughs> on the website. Too. So, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't drink while I'm doing this show. On the AI. <laughs> AI will, don't worry though. AI is going to fix okay, all AI of our word say. salads and everything else. <laughs> there we go. So we'll run the transcript of the podcast through AI and say, hey, clean this up. That's what we should do. We should just have AI do the podcast for us. We, just, yeah. we can just like yeah, put our, our names on it. Would, our listeners would not be happy about that. So I don't think they'd care, Tom. All right. So uh, any any more on the survey? I'm looking forward to doing some more of that and getting more or less the same results. And like you say, eventually we're going to start asking questions directly more about, do you really believe this 2050 stuff? We'll see. Okay. Um, you brought up, since we're talking a little bit about cars, uh, you you sent me a blog from our very good friend, Marlo Lewis. And if Marlo, you're not a listener, you need to be. Um, EPA's almost bare naked electric car mandate. Yeah. The EPA last week proposed new greenhouse emissions. This is obviously a while ago. For model years 27, 2027 to 2032, passenger cars, lights, trucks. The standards are de facto electric vehicle mandates. Automakers cannot comply without rapidly phasing out internal combustion engine vehicles and rapidly increasing sales of battery-powered vehicles. Yeah. It... it this is going to be the this is going to be the big fight for the next three years, I think, right? Five years, I don't know, maybe ten. You know, are we going to? Who is going to ultimately be in favor of getting rid of gasoline-powered cars? Because the the way this is going to play is, it is not going to be a one-for-one trade. We have three hundred gas, three hundred million gasoline-powered cars and trucks. Sometimes they're diesel-powered uh, in this country right now. 
we are not going to have 300 million electric vehicles. We're not going to trade them out one for one because we just can't because to, to even do that, a modest amount, we would need about 40 times as much lithium as we have now, about 12 times as much copper as we have now. There's just no hope of any of that happening, right? So what we're really, what this is really all about is limiting the amount of cars and trucks we have. And that means some significant section of the population is just not going to have a vehicle, as, as a member of Congress said to me. So what you're telling me is it's going to be like part Cuba, part Jetsons. Damn, damn straight. Right. Uh, and 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 it it strikes me that, you know, people, voters are ultimately going to be against that. But I'm not sure where the automakers are going to be. I know where I know where where Team Biden is. Right. They're like the, the fewer, the better. OK, we're going to put Myron's uh, Myron. We're going to put Marlowe's blog <laughs> in the show notes. All right. So I've got one here. I call it the. Tale of two FOIA requests. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, like, right. a, sounds uh, like a bodice ripper there. I definitely want to watch it. We just got a uh, a, a dump of, of FOIA uh, paper, uh, documents from, from FERC. Really? That we've been seeking for mm, six, seven months. And it relates to Commissioner Clements' ethics guidance, ethics waiver request, and things of that nature. After refusing to even tell us how many they had, after uh, being ordered by the court to tell us how many they had, uh, and then after being ordered by the court to offer them up in a reasonable time period, which uh, they had asked for like the moon, they finally gave us a bunch of documents. 59 pages in a PDF worth. Guess what? Almost all of them were completely redacted. redacted. Yeah. Okay. So there is a a FOIA request uh, one that is uh, 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 part of our ongoing effort to provide some uh, seek transparency at FERC. Then I stumbled on this from this is from AP News uh, today. In fact, yeah. new details of Jeff. Epstein's death and the frantic aftermath revealed in records obtained by AP. AP apparently has gotten volumes of 2,000 plus pages of detailed, four, I'm sorry, 4,000 plus pages of documents related to Epstein's death from the Federal Bureau of Prisons under the Freedom of Information Act, including a detailed psychological reconstruction of the events leading to Epstein's suicide, as well as his health history, internal agency reports, emails, memos, and other records. Taken together, the documents that AP obtained Thursday provide the most complete accounting to date of Epstein's detention and death and its chaotic aftermath. And the records help to dispel the many conspiracy theories surrounding his suicide, underscoring how fundamental failings at the Bureau of Prisons, including severe staffing shortages and employees cutting corners, contributed to his death. You want to know where I'm going with this, don't you? I have a good idea where you're going with it. But you go want to know where I'm going with go this? Go ahead. I am starting to. I am starting to think that maybe, perhaps. There is some selective FOIA going on here in the United States government. Yeah. Call me crazy. Yeah. You know, 
I've been on both sides of this. We have been, first of all, the fact that AP asked for it, tell, and, and no one who covers FERC gives a shit about anything going on at FERC uh, you know is one thing. Set that aside. Two, go ahead. I'm going to let you go. No, give me the two. Two, it's, is it possible that they created this little package for AP to further advance the notion that Epstein's death was merely a suicide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you always, you always wonder about that, right? What are you, what are you getting told and what are you not getting told? I, I've been on both sides of this. Obviously I've been in the government and I've been outside the government and <clears throat> I become a pretty big proponent of an idea that I, I think with modern day technology shouldn't be that difficult. And it's this. If something is foyable, if it's not, does it, if it doesn't exist under one of the exemptions, right? National security, personnel, um, internal deliberations, right, of an executive, um, we should just post it more or less onto a bulletin board associated with the agency as soon as it happens. In other words, instead of requiring people to ask for things, they should just be able to go to some bulletin board and say, hey, you know what, maybe ask chat GPT, I want you to give me all the emails about X or all the emails with this word in it or all the emails on July 17th or all the documents created on this thing, right? The the um, the biggest problem with transparency in government is is FOIA officers. You know, they, 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 become, they become the propaganda police, basically. Well, uh, I mean, if you... Okay, so I wasn't even going to talk about this, but thank you for bringing that up. If you, if the Republicans take the House and the Senate and the White House and have a reasonable number of votes in either body, if the HR1, HR2, HR3, these, these, these first high priority pieces of legislation should not be the BS messaging crap that we, that we're going to get most likely. It should be fundamental reform of certain processes yeah yeah including this process because the they have you're there's no reason and no excuse in uh like you said in it today for anything not to be made available right anything not to be made available I mean, instantly it, like i said it should be posted there's no excuse it should be posted you know you send an email you know the only the only reason you don't post it is you mark it hey this is personnel and, you know, and that's, we're that's, digging through these redactions. The only thing we're getting are dates mostly and timelines based on the information we have received. She has either not received, nor she being uh, Commissioner Clements, nor sought any ethics guidance with respect to any of the jobs that her husband has taken yeah. as, as long as she has served commissioner. But I set that aside just to say uh, it, it it is a, it is a striking example of how you can provide documents or not under FOIA or how you can not provide documents. Well, under you know, I, I tell you what my inspiration was. There's a bunch of states. I don't know how many. Back when I was watching this closely, it was about 20, 25 states that that posted all their checks, all their payments up online. So you could just go in and check to see, like, hey, who, who's 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 getting paid, right? Who, which vendors are getting paid by the state? 
And I thought, if you can do that, first off, if you can do that, why can't the federal government do it, right? But if you can do that, you should be able to post everything up online, all the traffic, all your emails, everything. Now I realize, again, having been in the government, what it would mean is there would be a lot less email traffic because people would pick up the phone more. That doesn't bother no, that's me. Not, I don't think that's a problem. I, that doesn't bother me at all. I mean, right. uh, it, 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 it doesn't change anything. You know, you go down to you go down the hall and talk to the guy instead of sending him an email. But you can do that right now. It right. It. I don't understand how the government gets a gets a free pass on. I don't want to say hiding because that sounds conspiratorial, but on keeping things from us that we're essentially paying yes, right. for. We're essentially paying for these things. I mean, Mike, the the number of redactions in these documents are laughable. Uh, you know, friggin' laughable. I've seen, you know, I've seen, I've seen all okay. these things, and you know what? It's worse at places with national security capacities. Of course, but you this know, is all just you, ridiculous. you know, DOE, DOD. They just, you should see their redactions. They're like, yeah, we'll send you, we'll, we'll send you as a page full of nothing but black. You know, we're just gonna black out everything. It's, you know, it's all a, right. You ready for for example number two? Can I stop you? Of government bias? Can I stop you? You nope, nope. This is from NBC News. DOJ closes Pence classified documents investigation with no charges. Justice Department's National Security Division, which looked into the discovery of classified documents at the former VP's Indiana home, informed his attorney that no charges will be filed because everybody knows that Mike Pence is clean as a whistle, right? I'm sorry, who? Okay. Mike Pence. Who? Vice President Pence, I apologize. Who? I given him his formal. Who's he again? Anyway. What'd he do before this? Here's here's uh, another article. Are you ready? Uh, wait a minute. Feds. I'm still I'm still trying to get over the idea that Mike Pence is worth an article. But go ahead. All right. <clears throat> <laughs> Let's just go with this. Fed. This is from Forbes. Feds sue ex-billionaire West Virginia governor's family mining companies for unpaid safety fines. Yeah, I saw that. The, the Justice Department on Wednesday sued the son of West Virginia Governor Jim Justice and several of the family's coal mining businesses for more than $7.6 in unpaid penalties and fees for health and safety violations, a hit to the family of a governor and Senate hopeful who has lost a major chunk of his fortune effort after becoming the wealthiest person in his state, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Justice has sued 13 Justice family-linked coal companies and James Justice III. The suit is over an estimated 7.6, et cetera, et cetera, Justice, and the companies were ordered. Okay. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Gee, I wonder what's going on in West Virginia. Yeah. It, it, you know. And also, uh, let me tie it back to Pence this is, for a second. This is some, this is some rank corruption is what it is, but go ahead. Let me tie it back to Pence. Hmm. Of course, Pence is squeaky clean. There's been, not been a word about, about Trump's documents yet or, or Biden's quite frankly, but who do, would they love to be also adding, also be running for president? Who, how wonderful would it be for certain political operatives and team Biden to see his former VP running against him in a Republican primary? Again, call me crazy, call me a conspiracy theorist, but I don't know. I yeah, don't think these are I coincidences. I don't know. Oh, well, I'm sure the thing against Jim Justice isn't a coincidence. I'm sure that's that's the Biden Justice Department going after him. 
Um, the Mike Pence thing, eh, it's one of those things like, who cares? You're not going to do anything anyway. I know, but you see the point, right? Yeah, I'm I trying do. To make I here. do. Look, he's, you know, the, the guy's about to be Roger Miller. Let him be. <laughs> All right. So that is, those are my two examples of how the uh, government works when it wants to and when it doesn't. There you go. I'm shocked. Shocked. So, so now I have another one. I call this one a tale of two headlines. Mm-hmm. This is from Reuters. Exxon Chevron shareholders soundly reject climate-related petitions. ExxonMobil and Chevron shareholders on Wednesday overwhelmingly rejected calls for stronger measures to mitigate climate change, dismissing more than a dozen climate-related proposals at their annual meetings. The results supported the two largest U.S. producers in resisting pressure from investor groups calling for the pair to follow European rivals and accepting tougher emission reduction goals. All right, you ready for the next headline? Yeah. You, you guess, tell me who the who the paper of record is on this one. Following setbacks, climate activists rethink their approach. Climate-focused shareholder activists have scored only a few victories in their efforts to push oil giants to adopt cleaner business strategies. Uh, it's the Washington Post, New York Times. No, New York Times. Yes, New yeah. York Times. Well, they got seventy-five <laughs> climate reporters. They got to come up with different stories so each of them could write something. I mean, you couldn't even like, couldn't even make this up. It's like, oh man, our buddies lost. What are they gonna do to regroup? We're gonna we're gonna start off by giving them a good headline. That'll make them feel better. This is more from the New York Times. Activists have failed to win more than fifty percent in many key proxy votes. What since since the big engine number one stunning victory over Exxon? Was that who did they stick on that board again? Was that Drew Bond or was it some of them? No, it wasn't Drew. It was I can't remember who, but somebody somebody we know, right? Some loser. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> anyway, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. I do too. So, does this mean Exxon's back or what? I, I don't know. You know, who can say? It's kind of sad that it's taken the House Republicans to get serious about ESG to get these companies to sort of push back a little bit. But um, the problem is, is that is that that the 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 disease is so embedded in these companies they can't they can't quite shake it right. And the younger folks are are the worst transmitters of the disease, you know, the young college educated. Um, so I, I'm I'm not sure how this story turns out. Uh, really not. I kind of worry about it. I mean, think about think think about. Well, I mean, you know, as the, we as the, us old guys age out, right? Well, I mean, think about who's the, gonna replace us. Who, who what rational thinking people are gonna replace us? Well, see now. If or I'm, or will there be a backlash amongst the youths? Who knows? Where they start to push back against all this wokeness I, and whatnot, I, right? You know, I, I kind of wonder, you know, the, the Bud Light thing, the Target thing, and the Disney thing makes me think that eventually the market's going to have to react to the to what the what the purchasers are telling them. But I could easily see these kids saying, you know what, the hell with the consumers. We're going we're gonna to do what we feel like because, you know, this is more important than anything like selling stuff. We're quite at we, – we are – I mean, if, think about it like this. It's not that different than what the autos are doing. That's right. That's right. They're, right? Re- they're responding to a different set of incentives. 
That's right. The other thing that I've noticed recently is, for example, I didn't throw the clip in here, but someone on NBC called, called these efforts economic terrorism. Okay. It's all right. If, if these guys are the left been doing this for how long? Targeting companies, targeting states, yeah, no. targeting MLB. It's all of a sudden now conservatives are starting to do it, and then it's economic terrorism. Yeah, you know the the the, the legacy. Vote with your vote with your wallet. The legacy. I was going to say the legacy media seems to be on a on an extended, indefinite effort struggle, jihad. To borrow from my friends from the Arab world, an internal jihad to make themselves as irrelevant as humanly possible by getting their way. Sound advice, sir. Yeah, Sound that's advice. why they pay me the big money, kid. So, And I have one more, but I'm going to save it for next week because we're running long. We are. If you Do you have anything else? I don't, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to start heading home, I suppose. I don't know what I'm going to do here from here. All right, I'm going to finish up my mega pint of wine, and we're going to close this episode out with the sweet, sweet sounds of the vice president. And so as I look out at you, I know that you will build on that leadership because, of course, your generation grew up online. Technology that might be intimidating or unfamiliar to other generations to you is exciting and intuitive. You see what can be unburdened by what has been. And you have the agility and the ability to bring that potential to life. And I have the ability and the agility to finish my bottle of wine as we wrap up. The 134th episode of the Unregulated Podcast. Madam Vice President, I implore you, fire your speechwriters and namaste. Namaste.